The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Calvin Reed writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. The instant national bestselling author of the acclaimed debut novel, Sweet Bitter, Stephanie Damler, stopped by the show this week to chat with me about her not-so-overnight success as a rising literary star. Ms. Damler signed a six-figure deal with Knopf for her first book, The Coming-of-Age Story, the young woman transplanted into New York City's upscale, cutthroat restaurant world. Best-selling author Jay McInerney called Sweet Bitter a stunning debut novel, one that seems destined to help define a generation, and the book has been compared to Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. Before returning to her love of writing and earning an MFA in fiction from the New School in New York, Ms. Dandler spent much of her life working in the food and wine industry. Stephanie's also written essays for the Paris Review, Vogue, Literary Hub, and Travel and Leisure. Join us for this two-part interview. And if you're a fan of the show, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews with your favorite authors and help other writers to find us. If you missed the first half of this show, you can find it at writerfiles.fm and in the show notes. In part two of the file, Stephanie and I discuss the dichotomy of procrastination and deadlines, why relationships are important to writers, on the deconstruction and sanctity of creativity, how great writers leave blood on the page, and some sound advice on why you just need to finish. So let's talk about your workflow a little bit. Are you working on a Mac or a PC there? Oh, I'm a MacBook. <laughs> and I had this ancient one that was so heavy that I used to lug around the world. And this one is so light and fancy. Yeah. I adore it. 
Yeah, they get lighter by the by the day, don't they? I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, are you a Microsoft Word or a Scrivener uh, disciple? What's Scrivener? I have no <laughs> idea. I'm, I don't, Microsoft Word. I'm not like a software person. Okay. Um, I just assume that there's two camps and like the Scrivener is like the new, it's a newer um, software that, that incorporates a lot of kind of uh, organizational tools and that, that a lot of users, uh, writers are using now. But you sound like a classic dyed in the wall uh, Microsoft Word or. Yeah, and <laughs> lots of notebooks and um, yeah. not not structured or an outline person or an organized person at all. Okay. <laughs> um, do you have any best practices kind of going back to uh, block and, and whatnot for beating procrastination? I mean, no on procrastination. I don't know <laughs> how, I don't know how to beat that. I would welcome uh, any tips that you have. I should listen to the other podcasts. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think a lot of writers lean into it, um, because it's part of the creative process. Yeah. I think the deadlines are incredible, um, extremely helpful. And I think adrenaline is extremely helpful, but maybe that's because I worked in restaurants for so long that it feels yeah. very familiar to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for beating block, I mean, I think there's just reading. I think that when you're feeling, bored or uninspired by your own mind, I think it's time to visit someone else's mind. And I was just recently rereading Susan Sontag's journals and she's admonishing herself and she's like, you will not read anymore. You are procrastinating. And I was like, okay, I could just be so lucky to procrastinate like Susan Sontag. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the reading. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, Campari and soda, glass of wine. How how else does Stephanie Damler unplug at the end of a a long writing day? Um, there's definitely a beverage involved. And I think that it it really does signal that you've exited the work day in mm -hmm. a way. Um I like to be outside. It's part of the reason that I moved to Southern California, even though I've barely been here, but I think it's important to actually be in nature as much as possible. You miss that in the city, but just contact with the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I need to talk to people. It's a very intense experience to sit alone with your many voices all day, trying to decide which to listen to. And mm -hmm. um, I think that calling someone and getting out of your own head and your own problems is reminder that, oh, I'm just a human. I'm just a regular human <laughs> being in the world and yeah. I'm going to go to sleep and this, this doesn't matter so much. It does. It's art and it's what I've dedicated my life to, but there's also just living and being a good friend and a good partner and making meals. And that's equally as important. For sure. Well, uh, I'd love to dig into your creativity if, if you have time. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> that's that's like the vaguest word. It's like one of those catch-alls, yeah. and you're like, it's like a branding tool now that it, I don't even know what it means. But I <laughs> yes, ask ask away. Okay, okay. Um, how how do you personally define creativity? As I was just being so cynical about creativity, <laughs> I was thinking also about how sacred it really is, and. When I think about real creativity, I think about that moment when you've been staring at the same material or the same words or the same landscape or building or face, and you feel like you know it. You feel like everything about it is stayed and formulaic and it's dead. And then these synapses connect and it's new. And then I think about Ezra Pound's slogan, make it new. And I think that that's creativity because there is no new material. There's only new ways of perceiving. And that is where original exciting thought comes from. Hmm. For sure. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Um, when do you personally feel the most creative? You may have already answered this, but uh, can you nail it down? I, yeah, I, I think that it's really important to remember how much of writing takes place away from the desk and off the page. And I find that I'm very creative where I'm having those synapses firing, where I'm seeing connections. When I'm in transit, whether I'm driving or walking or riding the subway, those are extremely fertile times for thought because you can wander. And that's all writing for me. That's all 
work. And I'm not always even in a rush to write those things down. You just, I kind of observe the thoughts and if they're important and if they're going to add to whatever dialogue I'm having, they'll come back to me at the desk. But I feel, I think in transit is like a really lovely time. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a creative muse right now? I have been walking a lot since I've been back. Um, and I live in Laurel Canyon, so I'm surrounded by trails, but I used to walk a lot in New York as well. I used to walk the bridge. Um, and I found that to be a really great mental, give me a really great mental space. Hmm. But I'm always, I mean, I'm always reading poets and I read poetry first thing in the morning. And that is such a huge part of my practice. And hmm. They, whoever they are, um, never fail to make me excited about language again, which is, you know, excitement is one step away from inspiration. And so usually that works. Mm. Very nice. So in your estimation, what makes a writer great? <sighs> That's a huge question. <laughs> I really value honesty, um, and not just honesty, but sincerity in writing. And I find in a lot of modern or postmodern fiction, I feel this distance from the reader, this lack of sincerity where I'm supposed to be appreciating how clever something is, but the writer hasn't actually left any like blood on the page, so to speak. Mm. There isn't this authenticity. And I'm drawn towards writers in which I can really feel their kind of their pulse right behind the page. Yeah. I don't know whether that's lived experience. And there are plenty of fiction writers who make everything up that can give you that feeling, but that's a, a mark of talent. Oh, completely. Do you have a couple of favorites right now that you're just kind of stuck on or? Sitting by your, uh, on your bedside table. Yeah. I have such an insane stack on my bedside <laughs> table, but, um, I am so bored of hearing myself praise Maggie Nelson because I do it all the time, but Maggie Nelson is in a critic essayist poet and she most recently put out the Argonauts, which is a masterpiece and, then we have her book of um, poetry. It's really a poetic essay called Bluettes. I mean, at this point, I've read everything that she's written. Cool. And she does not care about genre. Mm -hmm. She does not care about the rules. And I find it so inspiring. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you have a best love quote floating there somewhere over your desk? Like so many authors. Yeah, I have a, a bunch. I actually have a bunch of poems, but cool. I have my real quotes are on my body. Um, I have some tattoos that are quote like quotes that I carry with me. I have um, this is water from David Foster Wallace, which mm. was a speech he gave at my university, Kenyon College, yeah. which has now turned into like a manifesto of sorts. Yeah. And I have, what else do I have? 
Um, I have Clarice Lispector. Um, the last line of her book, The Passion According to G.H. is, and so I adore it, which is really just an affirmation after you've gone through this novel of destruction, really, where it's really allegorical and very Kafka-esque, even though I hate it when people call things Kafka-esque. That's the the easiest way for me to put it. But after you've gotten to the bottom of this hole where there's no meaning, it ends with this, this kind of cry, and so I adore it. And, um, I think, I think of that one often. Hmm. Very cool. Well, I got a couple of fun ones for you mm-hmm. to wrap it up. We will be right back after a very short break. Thanks so much for listening to The Writer Files. Hey, Jared Morris here. If you know anything about Rainmaker Digital and Copyblogger, you may know that we produce incredible live events. Well, some would say that we produce incredible live events as an excuse to throw great parties, but that's another story. We've got another one coming up this October in Denver. It's called Digital Commerce Summit, and it is entirely focused on giving you the smartest ways to create and sell digital products and services. You can find out more at rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. We'll be talking about Digital Commerce Summit in more detail as it gets closer. But for now, I'd like to let a few attendees from our past events speak for us. For me, it's just hearing from the experts. I mean, this is my first industry event, so it's awesome to learn new stuff and also get confirmation that we're not doing it completely wrong where I work. The best part of the conference for me is being able to mingle with people and realize that you have connections with everyone here. It feels like LinkedIn Live. I also love the parties after each day, being able to talk to the speakers, talk to other people over here for the first time people have been here before. I think the best part of the conference for me is understanding how I can service my customers a little more easily. Seeing all the different facets and components of various enterprises then helps me pick the best tools. Hey, we agree. One of the biggest reasons we host a conference every year is so that we can learn how to service our customers, people like you, more easily. And here are just a few more words from folks who have come to our past live events. It's really fun. I think it's a great mix of beginner information and advanced information, so I'm really learning a lot and having a lot of fun. Conference is great, especially because it's a single track conference where you don't get distracted by like, which session should I go to and am I missing something? I mean, the training and everything, the speakers have been awesome, but I think the coolest aspect for me has been connecting with both people who are putting it on and then the other attendees. So that's it for now. There's a lot more to come on Digital Commerce Summit, and I really hope to see you there in October. Again, to get all the details and the very best deal on tickets, head over to rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. Are you a paper or an ebook lover? I don't have an ebook thing. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't even talk about it. Should we cut this? Traveling <laughs> so difficult. Yeah. No, I, I, people... <laughs> I love that people read and my friends have their Kindles and they love their Kindles and it's made them more voracious readers. And yeah. I'm so happy about that, but that's repulsive. I can't, <laughs> there's, you have no sense of, of weight or where you are in a book and mm. you can't dog ear the pages and you can't write in them. It's just, no, 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 not for me. <laughs> well, I believe that you can make uh, marginalia in some, um, uh, 
uh, Kindles uh, now, but of course it doesn't look the same years and years down the road when somebody else opens the book. I There's something about reading even on a computer screen where you have no idea of where you are in the novel. <laughs> I love reading a passage and knowing that I'm one third of the way in yeah. and that sense of expectation that it builds and um, the way you engage with it, knowing that you're five pages away from the ending. You just like, you're just lost on the screen and in cyberspace. It's terrible. <laughs> it you don't, like a, you don't have to cut dimension. this. I really, I really believe in everything I'm saying. I'm very comfortable. Okay. With this. Uh, oh, we'll leave it all in. Oh, it's great. It's good stuff. Um, cool. So, uh, do you have a kind of a favorite literary character of all time? That's such a fun one. Um, I love, I love Henry James's women. Mm. Um, I love Isabel Archer from Portrait of a Lady, followed closely by Madame de Viennet in The Ambassadors. And one is like the young, um, the young, intelligent, optimistic heroine of the novel. And then Madame de Viennet is the older, manipulative, manipulative, cynical, um, slightly toxic character. And obviously, um, if you have read my book, I've drawn from both of those, but I, I love his women. Mm, absolutely. So, um, if you could choose an author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? I would take, um, this writer, MFK Fisher, she wrote in the mid 20th century. She's um, ostensibly like a cookery writer, but she's one of the most underrated writers of the 20th century. She's incredible. She basically writes personal essays that are centered around food, but at the end you're crying and you don't know why. <laughs> um, she's incredibly powerful, but she, she, and very dark and funny. Mm. So MFK Fisher and I, where would I take her? She lived in France for so long. I would love to take her to Spain. Mm. I've been to Spain. So I was a Spanish wine buyer for a moment and I've traveled extensively throughout that country. And I think she would be shocked by the quality <laughs> of food in places like San Sebastian and Barcelona. So yeah, I would mm. take MFK Fisher on a tapeo, a tapas crawl. Nice, nice. Love that idea. Actually, it's making me very hungry <laughs> and thirsty thinking about that. Um, so do you have any writer's fetishes? I know a lot of writers have collections and, and rare artifacts of the trade, and, and many don't. Um, but do you have anything kind of that hangs around or follows you around the world? I just, I mean, I have my notebooks, and I've been writing in them forever, and I have my ridiculous library, but I think that every writer has a ridiculous library. I mean, my collection of, of old magazines and old Paris reviews and old Kenyan reviews, those mm -hmm. are kind of special yeah. and idiosyncratic. Um, I have a small collection of the partisan review, which was really powerful in the forties and fifties. It was more um, powerful intellectually than the New Yorker at the time. And those are so special 
you have Jean-Paul Sartre writing for the Partisan Review next to Robert Lowell. It's those are incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, going back to the notebook uh, really quick, what what kind of notebook is it? They're moleskin notebooks, black. Aha. Uh-huh. And I keep, aha, uh-huh, I know, so boring. <laughs> no. Um, I keep a small one for um, personal, private, um, nonsensical yeah. writing. And then I keep a, a larger one for thoughts pertaining to work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so if any... If if anyone ever tries to sell you the small notebook, you don't want that. You want the big notebook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um... Cool. Well, uh, can you offer advice to your fellow scribes, fellow writers, uh, on how to keep the ink flowing, how to keep the the cursor moving? I think I go back to reading. I think you need to be reading as much as you're writing, if not more. But I also often tell fellow writers that you have to finish. And I remember a professor told me that at the new school, Daryl Pinckney, and he said, you need to finish your projects. And I was like, well, duh, of course, I'm trying to finish my, but his point is that so many of us start things. There's so much energy and like, I have written the opening sentences of the great American novel but we never we finishing it is an entirely different beast mm. and i think another facet of that is like not to be too precious about it because writers do not realize that your first draft is almost meaningless yeah. it doesn't matter how good it is how bad it is you're going to revise it a thousand times and until you write the last sentence you have no idea what you're looking at whether it is the great american novel or whether it has to be burned <laughs> yes. So get to the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Sweet Bitter um, is a is a great uh, novel. Congratulations! I I love this blurb by Jay McInerney, who that's impressive alone. Said uh, stunning debut, destined to help define a generation. It really is. Uh, it captures that fast paced kind of late night, sexy. Um, subculture of, of the restaurant world, but it, it's so much more. It's, it's um, incredibly well-written. Um, and I encourage the listeners to seek it out. I'm sure they can't miss it at this point because it's, uh, it's kind of uh, um, everywhere. But um, 
Congrats on that. I did have a question about kind of um, any of your peers from that period, um, if you are still in touch with them, uh, did they have any thoughts on kind of how you, how you captured the world? Yeah. And I am, as you probably know, having worked in restaurants, your restaurant family, you see them around for forever and they've all, I've had so many different restaurant families and they've all shown up at one event or another. Even when I was in Portland, Oregon, where I knew no one, someone showed up who I used to work with, who was living (laughs) there. And everyone's been so gracious and supportive. And the notes that I receive are so kind. And I think it's because it's fiction. I think that probably everyone I've ever worked with picked up the book and was like, oh, I bet I'm in here. And <laughs> yeah. they're not, they're not. <laughs> and I think that it makes it easier for them to read. And it also makes, I mean, so many times they're like, this took me back. This is like a love letter to mm. our lives in that moment. And that is exactly what I wanted. It really is a deeply nostalgic work. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was in the process of leaving New York and Union Square Cafe was closing. And it really is a tribute to that moment of youth and that moment in New York City. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they have been so lovely. That's awesome to hear. Well, congratulations on all of the successes and, and we look forward to more Hope you come back and, and talk with us again. Where can um, uh, writers and listeners uh, connect with you out there? Um, I'm very active on Instagram, which seems strange for a writer because I cannot tweet. I don't understand anything about it. <laughs> um, but there's an incredible book-loving community on Instagram where people are sharing writers and recommendations. And um, I post a lot of poetry that I'm reading and try to give it as much visibility as possible. And yeah, I, people seem to like reading it on Instagram. So that's where I am. Neat. Neat. Very cool. All right, Stephanie. Well, thanks again. And it has been a true pleasure uh, chatting with you about writing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.